Star Wars Home Edition revealed. Jurassic Park also revealed. Dutch Pimble reached settlement with Ara. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston, and welcome to the Pinball Magazine and Pinball News free monthly audio podcast with a uh, sort of flashback summary, recap, whatever you want to call it, of the past month of Pinball Industry News. And with me is... I'm Martin Eyre from Pinball News, the editor. And uh, I have to say, Jonathan, this is, you know, last month we said things were a bit quiet, but we still managed to uh, fill out uh, quite a lengthy podcast. But this month, I think it's been um, really, really busy, hasn't it? It's been a very exciting month for Pinball, I would say. Yes. Yeah, so we've, um, well, let's dive straight into it, I suppose, really. We don't want to waste any more time. Right. So um, we've had uh, two new Pinballs revealed this month. Right. Uh, the first of those was um, was shown at Comic Con in San Diego. Uh, Comic Con, a, a huge, great um, comic and uh, fan based uh, show. Cosplay and all that kind of stuff going on. Yep. Uh, absolutely. And Stern had a big presence there. I think their biggest presence um, ever. Yeah. And uh, they were showing their newest game uh, on the Star Wars stand, which. Um, was appropriate as it was actually a, a Star Wars game, their home edition, which they call the Pin. Right. Uh, so this was a Star Wars Pin game. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about it, Jonathan, before we uh, get sure. too much into the detail? Right. Um, well, the game itself is a completely different model than the Steve Ritchie recent Star Wars game that we saw in um, three versions, the, the usual pro premium and limited edition um this game is actually a george gomez design and i would say it's a um iteration a further iteration of the uh, spider-man home game that we saw uh, i think two years ago which was then also used for the supreme pinball machine which was a um, private label game mm-hmm. of which only like 100 were made and these are selling for like $25,000 or something like that. Sort of ridiculous, yeah. Yes. Um, and interestingly, um, not sure whether it was George Gomez who um, uh, made the current changes to uh, to the game, but um, the layout is mostly the same, but the, um, the entrance to the uh, ramps has been changed. Um, and also the, 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 the function of the drop target area um, on the left uh, of the playfield, in front of the left ramp, has changed. In fact, um, on the Spider-Man Home Edition game, there was a construction where um, you had the three drop targets, where you could actually lock a ball uh, behind the drop targets, which we'd later seen in Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. And um, that section has changed, um, where the three drop targets are still in the same place. Um, but they are now guarding the entrance of the uh, uh, the left ramp, and I think they're representing TIE fighters. Um, yes, that's right. Um, so you have to, to uh, shoot the TIE fighters first before you can actually exit that ramp and shoot the Death Star. Yes, Death Star being at the top of the left ramp there. Right. It does have, does have the same lock mechanism um, as Spider-Man Home Edition, right. which is basically a couple of couple of posts with a switch behind them and the ball can kind of settle 
between the two posts on the switch, and yes. then you can you can knock that ball out to start a multi-ball mode. Right, and that's the uh, R2D2 multi-ball mode, which um, 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 I think it's a very uh, clever way of locking a ball. Um, it's also a, a sort of carryover multi-ball, because if you don't release the ball yourself, someone else can uh, release it. It's an easy-to-get-to multi-ball. Um, yeah. Um, the funny thing is, uh, there was a lot of criticism online uh, about this game, but uh, on the other hand, there were also people saying that it they have the impression that it's actually more fun than the, the, the Pro Premium mm-hmm. and uh, Limited Edition Star Wars that Stern put out like... Uh, what is it? Two years ago? One year ago? And um, I have to say, um, although I haven't played the Star Wars uh, game yet, when I played the Spider-Man Home Edition, um, I thought that was quite a fun playfield to shoot with some very clever rules. Um, from what I've seen on the stream of the current Star Wars pin, if we are going to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say there's a little bit of overkill in the number of multiballs. You're really going from one multiball to another, um, uh, which I guess is sort of a pity in the sense that that way achieving multiball is nothing special anymore. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there. It, it, it would normally be something which you'd, you'd have to strive for. Well, Stern always used to give away one multi-ball fairly easily, didn't they? Right, but that should be the two-ball multi-ball with, yeah. the, with, with, the, with the easy-to-lock um, um, ball. But, um, no, obviously, uh, Jack Danger streamed it from uh, Comic-Con on the first day, um, so there was like nine hours of, of Star Wars footage. Um, I'd still say it's a fun game to flip. Um, obviously, this game is intended for the um, consumer market, if you wish. Um, the cabinet is, uh, although it uses the artwork of um, the already approved artwork, I would say, of the Pro Premium and Limited Edition, um, but then in a different configuration. Mm-hmm. Um, the cabinet itself is something that I think people can even screw that together as a sort of um, IKEA furniture type of cabinet. Um, but if that's what it takes for Stern to um, reduce the price of such a game, um, then sure, why not? Well, there is a little bit of confusion exactly how that game's going to be marketed. Um, the earlier versions, which they, they brought out, they, they brought out a, uh, what, did, what did we have? Well, not the Spider-Man edition so much, but when they had Transformers, and I think we had a Batman as well before as, as pin games. They were certainly targeted at more sort of uh, retail market, should we say, you know, selling it through Costco, Walmart, Target, yes. that, that kind of outlet. This time, there's no indication that that's how uh, the Star Wars pin is going to be sold. It was, no. it was uh, shown in a presentation to regular Stern distributors. Right. Which, uh, is... which implies that um, it's that they're the ones who are going to be selling it and the ones who are going to be providing any service requirements for the game right because that's that's always the big problem with any home game you know who if it goes wrong who's going to service it yeah actually it might be a smart move because let's say someone um a a, a consumer uh person let's let's call it that or whatever um is interested in a in a in such a game um 
if he's already walking into a stern distributorship, um, goes home with a Star Wars pin, um, if he ends up liking it, he might he knows exactly where to get a professional model if he would be up for that. And we all know how it goes with pins. Once you got hmm. one, one is not enough. That's true. Um, and obviously the distributors are in a better position to provide the after-sales service than any sort of these big box shifter companies right. who have, have, don't even know what a pinball is other than it's just a, a commodity to them that they sell. And if it if it goes wrong, it, it gets taken back and sent back to the distributor or right. to the manufacturer to deal with, which is uh, not something that certainly want to have to to uh, address right and uh, i think the smart thing here is on 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 stir's end um i think what they experienced or might have experienced with um these previous uh distributors like um amazon or whatever um obviously you have the risk of um someone ordering a game he sets it up in it at his home plays it for two weeks and he's like eh, i don't like it anymore and if it's within a certain date of delivery, he might still send it back. And then what are you going to do with the game? Yeah, true. You know, we just order it for a party. You know, have people play it. Right. And, uh, and then, as you say, send it back. Um, but this game is, is slightly different from, from other games. It's Okay, it's a home game. It doesn't have a coin door. Well, it has oh. a coin door, but it doesn't have any coin slots right. on it. And it also has a, a smaller LCD display than a, than a regular Stern game has. Right. Actually, it, is, it is an LCD, whereas right. the Spider-Man Home Edition was LED, but right. color LED. Which makes me think um, uh, um, most LED screens easily adjust to... Um, I mean, technically, if you're a handy guy... Um, you can replace the speaker panel and the speakers, um, uh, put in a bigger display, and you will. If the the, the um, uh, you might just get a bigger image on the display, whatever you choose to put up there um, as a display. So, yeah, I would guess it's probably just an HDMI connection into that, and um, yeah, using the same spike system that they use elsewhere. Right. So yeah, you could drive any any size display in theory. Right, so um, so that could be it. Actually, I was wondering um, if if um, it's not a not a um, it's it's actually a quite an interesting and fun uh, layout to play. Um, I'm I'm actually wondering whether there's any pinball enthusiasts who are like, you know what, I got a spare cabinet here from whatever old game. I'm just going to put this Star Wars pin playfield in there and um, get a bigger display and um, sort of like build their own custom cabinet for it um, and, and and basically have a um, more arcade type of game with a bigger display. Of course, uh, the thing we haven't mentioned so far, which is the, uh, the proverbial elephant in the room, is the price of this, uh, this pin game. Right, which is... Which... Four thousand four hundred ninety-nine dollars, which is basically two thirds—sorry, uh, three quarters of the price of a pro model of Stern's latest machines. Like, right. Uh, so obviously, this is the um, uh, the, the manufacturer-suggested retail price, which in the end always turns out to be less than advertised. True, but it's being sold through the same channels as all the other games, which are probably going to be discounted by the same amount. So it's probably going to end up as being 75% the cost of a pro game. 
Right. So given what's missing out of it, is it is it realistic? I mean, when when I've been thinking about sort of pricing points that Stern need to to hit in order to sell to the home market, it's below three thousand. Yeah, but here, here they are at four and a half, and it's getting so close to being just a, a pro machine in terms of price and in terms of the outlets and the channels that they're selling it through. It's not it's not striking me as being something which is going to make a have any impact at all. I could be wrong. It could be a big success for them, as it turns right. out. But well, I was having a similar discussion with um, our good friend Gary Flower. Um, oh yeah, last mm-hmm. month. Well, he um, might call in. Uh, we can carry that on. Yeah, and um, Gary basically was like, he, uh, he he made a very good point. If you're going to spend four and a half thousand dollars on a toy, then you might as well buy the real deal for uh, uh, five and a half or six. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're seventy five percent of the way there already right. with this with this price. Right, and. Um, so I can see the concern um, whether there is a market for this or, or whether this is overpriced. Um, I guess the, the 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 only thing I can say is time will tell. The only thing, uh, plus, uh, if we look at earlier home um, edition games, I think pricing has always been an issue, uh, even with the Spider-Man Home uh, game. That yeah. turned out to be. Well, I think they they made 125 or so of those, and we never know what happened to them. No, well, that's always the issue. You see, um, they always they always um, have a, a certain. They're always overpriced, to be honest, right. for what they are, and it's they don't have that separation between you know, being a home game and being a, a an operator game in terms of price. They do in terms of features, um, but it's just not, hasn't got the differentiation that you need in order to, to make it you know, a clear choice. You know, if I've got, if I've got, um, uh, no, five, five and a half thousand or, or, or $6,000, I'm going to buy an arcade version. If I've only got 3000, I'm going to buy a home version. And that's without even considering, you know, the the resale value at the end of it. If you do want to move it on, you know, who's going to want to buy your home model when they can they can pick up pick up a second hand pro, right? Uh, premium. And speaking uh, of second hand, um, I think uh, second hand Star Wars games are more or less in the same ballpark uh, in terms of price as um, a, a new Star Wars pin. Yeah, true. But if you're selling to the home market, I know that you're talking, selling to people who don't know how to fix a game and don't want to know how to fix a game, so they want something which is new and works. Right. Yeah, that's true. So, oh well. Um, mm. I just hope for Stern this will work out. And um, I guess since the um, well, the Spider-Man Home uh, game design uh, was later on used for their private label Supreme game. Uh, I'm pretty sure Supreme paid very good money to Stern, uh, so that you can't call that design a flop, in the sense that um, it earned its money, or it it made enough money for Stern, I'd say. And um, who knows what may happen uh, with this design? I mean, um, take take off the um, uh, 
the Death Star and uh, the, the few other elements that, that represent Star Wars uh, give it a different artwork on the playfield, and who knows what you might else what else you might use it for. So, yeah, I mean, true. It it's just, it doesn't excite me in the in the way that um, I was hoping it would, and I know a lot of other people were expecting something a bit more from this uh, announcement than actually turned out to be well, the case. The thing is, Stern um, uh, sent out a press release prior to Comic-Con saying that they were going to uh, reveal a new game. Obviously, within the pinball community, that raises expectations. And then they come out with this um, home game or home edition, which is sort of like not what pinball enthusiasts uh, we're expecting, but then again, they made that up a week later, revealing a new Cornerstone game. They did, and um, you know, Star that Star Wars pin edition was not aimed at the the regular pinball buyers. It was aimed at trying to bring in a, a new group of buyers, you know, people who wouldn't have considered it in the past. But right. you do lead on nicely to uh, the second game announcement yeah. but this month. If Stern. you're it, one last thing to, uh, about the Star Wars pin. If you were going to announce a Star Wars pin for the home user market or the consumer market, San Diego Comic Con is the best place to do it. So in that sense, it's a very strategic uh, uh, move from Stern. I have to yeah, applaud them for that. So. Especially if you can piggyback on the, uh, the Star Wars hype from that and, and show your game on the Star Wars stand, which is uh, exactly what they did. Right. So, And I think uh, leaning on to the next subject... Um, I think it was either George Gomez or someone else uh, who uh, already let people know on Facebook in in some comment that a new Cornerstone game was right around the corner and that took, in fact, less than a week after Comic-Con that um, Jurassic Park was announced. Yes, I think uh, it is. I think it was George who did say, you know, if you if you weren't enthused by our Star Wars announcement, don't worry, we've got another game coming out uh, to be announced very very shortly. And uh, yeah, Jurassic Park. Uh, although the, I have to say the, the announcement or the reveal of that game was uh, not quite as smooth as maybe was intended. They did do a, uh, a distributor presentation, as is the way Stern seems to do things now. They uh, they yes. do a. A, a video conference type presentation. Yeah, uh, a distributors. It's called a webinar, uh, and mm-hmm. it's not even for all distributors. I, I believe it's for selected distributors only. Um, and um, this was, um, I think, Tuesday a week ago, yep. and instantly images leaked, uh, screenshots from that presentation that was held by uh, Gary Stern. Um, leaked, uh, so it was no longer um, a surprise that it would be Jurassic Park. Although the images were rather low res, so people were there was a lot of speculation going on on what was actually happening on the playfield or what was there, what could it do, what uh, what would the ball be doing, and and all that sort of stuff. And then it took uh, three more days um, before Stern actually revealed the official. Uh, uh, announcement and photos, close-up photos of the game. Yeah, um, I'm sure they weren't weren't happy about the the leak earlier on. And in fact, when um, when the 
I don't know whether you call it an official announcement. I, I certainly didn't get a nope, the, the usual I. press announcement, which we normally get, which is um, along with a bunch of people, which, which we got for Star Wars, yeah. um, which uh, gives the sort of, you know, the press announcement, the details of the game, the pricing, and the usual Gary Stern quote about it, along with uh, a lot of um, information about how Stern Pinball is a global lifestyle brand. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, uh, that does wind up a lot of people, I know, and um, all the wonderful games they made in the past. But we didn't get that. Um, and the pictures that did come out seemed to be fairly sort of randomly scattered around across the Internet, some some outlets had some pictures. Other people had other pictures. And yeah, I think the most reliable source was Stern's Facebook, where like over forty uh, photos were uh, published, uh, as well yeah. as uh, what usually would be a press release. But um... yeah, although interestingly, I noticed in, in that there were no at that point anyway. I think it's changed since. There were no cabinet pictures of the three models, which were actually leaked earlier in the week. And so it's almost as if they weren't really, they weren't, or maybe the artwork packages hadn't been signed off by um, uh, whoever it is who owns the well, they, license. They were shown to distributors, so. They were maybe, shown, but yes. not for publication. Yeah. You know, we, we've seen stuff that's been shown to us, but we weren't allowed to produce it or reproduce it because yeah. it hadn't been signed off. Which Wonder actually. If that was the case. Um, speaking of cabinet art, um, okay, so the Jurassic. Uh, park cabinet art is done by um, Jonathan. Uh, let me get where I put his name. I put Jonathan Bergeron. Yes, who is also Bergeron. known as yes, who is also known as uh, Johnny Crab. He's from Canada. Um, but the interesting thing is, in a, since then, um, uh, last night Jack Danger had his um, gameplay reveal stream, which I highly recommend for people to uh, to watch. Um, Dead flip. Yes, but what I did notice is that, um, as is uh, reported by IGN as well, who um, checked this with um, Stern, there's no footage from the um, original movie in the game, which obviously saves uh, licensing fees and so on. I I can understand that. But that also means that uh, Stern's uh, video animation team had to create all the assets for... Um, the display, the, the background, the island, uh, um, everything that happens on the island, uh, the animals and so on themselves. Um, which sort of made me wonder, like, if you have your own animation team in-house already designing all this artwork for display use, mm-hmm. why hire a different artist for your cabinet art? Because it would be much more... Um, in sync with your display animations, if you would just take a still from the display and use it as cabinet art. Oh, I think it's a very different um, skill set to do video animations compared to um, static art of the, of the kind of high-resolution high variety that's um, that's needed on the playfield, on the on the cabinet, uh, the back glass, uh, the back box sides. And, there's, and and the plastics as well, not forgetting those. True. Uh, it's quite but, a lot. But still, it made me wonder, like, okay, if you want some synergy between the two, then it makes sense that... True. Um, but on picking up your point there about um, the fact that there was nothing... I, well, I don't know if there was absolutely nothing. Like, uh, there were some shots earlier on 
in in the what the kind of when you first start the game with the helicopter flying over the island that maybe maybe think well hang on I'm sure they haven't recreated an entire um, island in that way I think some of that might have come from an original movie but maybe not uh, maybe maybe it's that good it looks like it looks in cinematic terms but they've got I think a, t- a team of uh, six or seven uh, video designers and animators working on this game. Uh, which is a huge task. I think it's uh, it's really a, a, a massive credit to to them for the oh, quality yeah, of what they produce. Uh, I think they've 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 done what would almost seem impossible to take a, an entire Jurassic Park movie and recreate various scenes from it and create new storylines as well, uh, right. which take it beyond just the, the movies. And in you know, it's really genuinely very well done. So I think it's this is probably their their best video production they've done on any game so far as as a, a team at Stern. So congratulations to them on doing that. And, and also, Keith. and the sound as well. And, and um, yes, coming on to Keith as well. But the sound, um, which um, um, has, has a really wonderful soundtrack um, based on the John Williams theme, but also... Um, Done, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm afraid I've forgotten the name of the um, yeah. the composer who did it. I know Jerry Thompson did the, uh, the, the sound effects. Yes, but um, I can't remember exactly who it is who did the the music. But it's uh, it's yeah. excellent and very much in keeping with the theme. And um, it's it is cinematic in scope. So congratulations yeah. to, to oh. them on that. But um, congratulations to I'd say the entire team because. Uh, from what I could see on the uh, reveal stream, um, which was uh, yesterday, um, uh, broadcasted yesterday by Deadflip, uh, although this podcast might uh, air a day later, but okay. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, I was very impressed with the game. I think Keith Elwin is um, a brilliant designer. For uh, for oh. pinball, I think he really nailed it again. He was uh, obviously Iron Maiden, which was a continuation of his previous Archer design. Um, that was already a, a a killer layout. And again, here we have a three flipper layout with um, quite some innovation, I would say. Um, and I'm in, as far as I can say, um, it's. Very good for Stern to have some um, fresh blood in the designer department, so to speak. If you if you, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think it. Um, um, you know, a rising tide raises all boats, as uh, as people have said in the past. Now, I think I think all design teams on not just at Stern, but also other manufacturers you know that the the level at which they have to reach. To, to produce what is acceptable in the market now is higher. And uh, I think, yeah, you're right, that Keith does seem to pack in an awful lot of shots into all his games um, and make them interesting shots as well. So I think, I mean, um, originally, to be fair, and, and provide a little bit of criticism here, I, when I first saw it, I looked at the premium and the pro layouts on the playfield and thought, those two look exactly the same. There's, there's hardly any reason to buy a premium. But then having seen the, the game actually played, I thought there's no reason to buy a Pro because there's quite a lot not in the Pro that you would want to have in the Premium. Um, in particular, the, the moving T-Rex head 
Yeah, and, uh, which eats uh, the ball and then spits it out or drops it on a ramp. Yeah, and also the way that the Raptor pen traps the ball um, and does a sort of dirty pool feature of, of trapping it behind a target bank. Right. As well. So, so I, I thought those were those were nice features to have and, and probably just about worth the extra cost. The LE, well, some people got to have an LE, but uh, it's the same play field as the premium. Yeah. The premium seemed to be the, the sweet sweet spot. In the, in the in the range, that right. I would, I, if I was buying a game, that's what I would be going for. I think it was very clever also on the Deathclip stream to start streaming with the premium um, mm. instead of with the pro. And um, well, like I was saying, and not only Keith uh, Elwin's playfield design is very interesting, but I think he also came up with some very uh, interesting uh, and refreshing ideas for the rule set. Yeah, um, I, I have to admit when he, when we started off that stream and um, Keith was explaining the rules of what you meant to do, I kind of lost it almost immediately and thought, uh, "What? I don't understand this." Yeah, well, uh, you, need to have have certain, you need to have a yeah, certain understanding of what dinosaurs and other creatures are out there and whether they are carnivores or not. It seemed quite involved. Um, it didn't seem as sort of a game you could just walk up to it cold as a casual player and instantly get what it is you're meant to be doing it, it, it seems like something that's, that's more designed for the home buyer shall we say who's going to have the time and the the energy to to get into understanding the rules and work out how best to optimize the scoring on that because it's you know it's, it's not unlike a lot of other stern games and when stern didn't do that with um, a game like the monsters they get ripped to shreds for saying, oh, it's far too, or for, for people who are saying it's, it's far too simple a game, doesn't have the depth required. Whereas on the other hand, you know, it's a great game for people just to walk up and play and understand what to do fairly easily. Um, so, but after having watched, or having watched the stream for a little while and understanding what the various rules are, it did kind of come together, but it just wasn't immediately accessible to me in the same way that some other games would be. Right. So, but still, I think um, it's a very interesting title. And uh, for um, what was especially interesting, uh, certainly after seeing the stream uh, uh, of, of Deathlip uh, from yesterday, the fact that they didn't license any movie assets uh, and, and, um, and such mm. is not um, a reason not to buy this game. No, it's it does have uh, Wayne Knight, who does the uh, the voice of Dennis Nedry, uh, in within the game. I don't think we heard much, if indeed any of that, during the, no, the stream. We didn't. We did hear some, if I may say so, some very poor uh, voice acting. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit cringing at times. Yes, yeah, so the uh, it was people try, trying to do over the, the David top. Attenborough and sorry, yeah. yes, Richard Attenborough, I should say. Yeah, um, obviously voice. there's a, a lot of focus on the Dennis Nedry character. Um, mm. A little bit, I mean, people aren't stupid. Uh, you don't need to call him uh, two or three times in a no. sequence of uh, voice calls to make sure that it's about him. Yeah, um, by his full name each time as yeah. well. Yeah. We need to get Dennis Nedry here. <laughs> where, where is Dennis Nedry? Yeah, I got. Yeah. Oh, so. Dennis Nedry. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant his brother, Brian Nedry. Oh, okay, right. So, no. <laughs> but um, that might still um, change, although I doubt it. But um, if they could get better 
voice calls or uh, um, have them hmm. re-recorded so they are less over the top and more natural. Um, sure. Um, but uh, uh, other than that, um, I got the feeling there's uh, not a lot of people being disturbed with the fact that there's no footage from the movie in there. No, I think the footage is the least of it. The voices are the things which stand out most as, as not being original. Right. So I even uh, talked to a couple of people who were like um, interested in buying a game um, and then applying the um, uh, the Data East Jurassic Park pinball game uh, decals to it because they just like the black cabinet with the red logo. Wow. Okay. They, they could certainly put the topper on from that game. Right. And uh, actually, um, I don't know how much interest there would be in that, but if Stern would be like, hey, you know what? If you want a game without any side art, that's fine. You get a $300 discount and you get a game without side art and good luck to yourself and whatever you throw on it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've also seen people saying like, oh, I prefer the, uh, the data is Jurassic Park translate uh, much more. Okay. You might find an original one or a reproduction. Um, get it to the right size and put it in your game if you want to. Yeah, to be careful about not um, not being seen to kind of promote copyright infringement out there because any any artwork you're going to put on there is is almost certainly going to infringe copyright in some yeah, way. Okay, but if it's got the Jurassic Park logo, which is you know, a, a trademark. Sure, but but if you're doing that for your for your own home game and the game that you bought, then who cares? Yeah, sure. But how many people have got the facilities just to make, you know, print their own? Oh, there's art? people on the internet you can, that can help you out, mm. and um, you know. Oh yeah. well. But mm. uh, to each his own, I guess. Yeah. Um, so anyone who anyone who's going to um, Pinburg this weekend, uh, Stern will have one premium uh, Jurassic Park game there and six pro as well for yes. uh, you to experience. And they will and be play. at the uh, Coin Taker booth, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. visit the Coin Taker booth to play Jurassic Park. And it's good to see that the price hasn't increased on this game from the last one, the Black Knight Sword of Rage, which uh, was, um, I think, was also the same price as the Monsters before. So we haven't, haven't had any uh, pinball price inflation recently from Stern. So that's, right. uh, that's good news. Yeah, especially since... If you look at how packed this playfield is, mm. yes, I'm sure they're uh, very mindful of the fact that there might be another company producing pinballs at uh, a slightly lower price point, maybe uh, early next year. And so they, they want to keep an eye on uh, on their prices to make sure they're not uh, uncompetitive in in that market. Right. So, so I guess that's it for. Um uh, Stern's two uh, game reviews of the past month. There's obviously more news about Stern Pimble, so let's quickly skip through that. Um, quite a few code updates, I'd say. Um, yeah. two, two code updates for Game of Thrones. Um, there was uh, a code update um, revealed July 15th on a uh, Deathlift stream um, that became available July 18th, and um, today actually another code update for Game of Thrones became available, and we're now at uh, version 1.37. Yeah, literally as we were uh, just making notes as to what we had uh, for this um, this particular podcast, and we were on uh, version 1.36 having been released, 
um, got the got the notification of a brand new version. So this is hot off the press with right. uh, one point three seven, which adds. You no, know, it's not. It's not a minor update either. It actually, adds quite a, quite a lot to the game. Right. So um, I guess um, Black Knight also got a code update, uh, which is now at one point Yep, it's an official, um, officially finished, um, in in stern terms, and it's reached one point zero point zero. So uh, anything beyond that is uh, enhancements, but it is uh, um, it is officially complete. Although I'm sure we will find uh, more uh, additions and enhancements coming along over the next few months. Right, and um, we also mentioned uh, earlier Stern's presence at the um, uh, San Diego Comic Con. Um, mm. where they teamed up with uh, Nuclear Blast, like they usually do, and um, what's the other party's name? I'm... Okay, they team up with another party, um, which I understood has to do, because basically uh, Comic-Con is not accepting new uh, new vendors. So if you want to be at Comic-Con, you have to team up with a vendor that's already there. So okay, right. that explains how it works. Uh, mm-hmm. Stern's third year in a row, and... Uh, this year they had for Comic Con a um, limited edition exclusive uh, vinyl record of the soundtrack of Black Knight Sword of Rage available in baby blue vinyl, um, 100 units only. Yeah. Uh, those sold out pretty quickly. Now, if you're like, oh, I wanted one, um, there are. Um, from a rather reliable source, I'd say there will be more vinyl available, but just not that limited edition Comic-Con uh, thing. But my guess is, uh, chances are there would be a different color, maybe some different artwork for uh, for the cover. Uh, but I guess it's this, the same vinyl might be available at other shows soon. Yeah, the the cover was branded with Comic Con, so uh, it's a, certainly a souvenir edition. And at the twenty dollar price point, they were selling it out. It's no surprise that they sold those out very quickly. But yes, I can imagine that if it's not available as a a vinyl, it would probably be available as a download at some point, like they did with. Um, Deadpool, I right. think, that became but available in, in other formats. Mark my words, it will be available as a vinyl. And um, my assumption is different color vinyl, uh, different artwork on the sleeve. And um, But obviously, when you're pressing vinyl, the most, ex- uh, the most expenses are in um, getting the... Um, I'm not sure what the, the proper pro- uh, names are for the... Um, Molds, I would say, to press the vinyl. It's not, not, not the, the molds, but whatever you call those. Um, yeah, you, you get my point. So um, once you have those, you can do anything um, with them. You can, if you throw in different color vinyl, you get different color vinyl, and um, so that's easy. That's uh, so. It would seem odd to me to just have molds created for just 100 copies, because it would make it very expensive to make extra vinyls uh, so my guess is the vinyl will be the same but the appearance will be different yeah that certainly sounds reasonable but uh, having made the presses they will they will print some more yeah so um did i miss any other code updates from stern um no i think that was the only two from stern there were there were um code updates from other companies as well um jersey jack pinball have been busy updating their dialed-in and Willy Wonka games. Right. 
uh, dialed in. Um, they, they brought out version 1.70 this month, uh, which was very quickly followed by version 1.71, which uh, fixed a, a couple of things from 1.70, which were found early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there, um, Some quite a few different um, mode and, um, I would say, um, feature um the, the way that the features work, shall we say, uh, have changed, and um, but also um, the I think they added in some bits that we, which were missing, some of the um, sort of choreography and um, and motion detection stuff into dialed in in Willy Wonka as well, which is up to version one point zero nine at the moment. So that's that's also you know uh, at release and beyond. They. Um, They've added in some extra tests and um, adjustments in there, but also, which is the thing that uh, caught my eye, was um, they have, and this may have been something which has always been in there, but I wasn't aware of, but they have um, a tracked mode speech, which is triggered by motion detection from the the camera that's in the game. Which I guess means if somebody's walking by, they can say, hey, you, stop, play me, put some money in. Yeah. Uh, uh, wouldn't you like to play this? And um, and you know, I don't know whether it, it, it would take a picture. It probably might be a bit too much of the person walking by and put it on the screen. Right. But, but there's um, all sorts of stuff you can do with that. So that, that's absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 It's in, it's good to see they're they're using the the uh, the camera feature in their games in uh, in innovative ways like that. Yeah. So. Um, and um, while we're on the subject, although it's um, while we're on the subject of uh, Jersey Jack, um, let's throw in um, that sl- uh, slash um, confirmed again that he's working <laughs> on a Guns N' Roses pinball machine, which is expected. Well, who would have thought? Well, we reported on that like months ago uh, um, yeah. after he already mentioned it to the, the London Times, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I was actually quite surprised to see that so many people had missed that while we reported on it. So where are you all getting your information from? There's <laughs> a very reliable source. It's the Pinball News and Pinball Magazine podcast. Um, and we discussed that months and months ago. Um, so if you want to, it's very easy. Just subscribe to the Pinball Magazine newsletter. And you'll get every month an update with what happened the past month, including details like this, and a link to the Pinball News and Pinball Magazine podcast. So you can listen to it in your car or wherever you want to listen to it. Um, But again, so Slash talked about it, and um, uh, this is expected to be the second Jersey Jack pinball machine that we um, are expecting to be announced or revealed still this year so yes, that's and, right. um, um, that doesn't mean that it will be an expo we're hoping it might be an expo but the year runs until december and it might also be a game that will be revealed in uh, i don't know just before christmas who knows that also depends on how fast the team is working and how far the game is along and what have you so yeah. um, and also also what other manufacturers are doing as well they don't want to uh don't want to, their announcement of their big game to be you know, crowded out by you know, two or three other companies also um, releasing their latest games. Right. So, um, okay. Um, I guess that 
sort of covers the Jersey Jack news, uh, at least on my list. Uh, did you have anything else? Um, not from Jersey Jack. There's still quite a lot of uh, Stern-based news, though. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I got drifted away, I guess. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah, Stern uh, were one of the companies, one of 50 companies, I believe, who were invited to the White House in the past month as part of um, the White House's third annual Made in America showcase, where they have a, a company from each of the 50 states come along and produce, and um, a, a company who produces something which is uh, iconically American and um, it, and uh, helps promote business and create jobs in their local community. Right. Uh, Stern, Stern were there. There were three, I think there were three people from the company there. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure who the three were. I know Gary Stern and I think Dave Peterson went. I yes. don't know whether the third one was John Buscali or whether it was Jody or whether it was somebody else entirely. Um, but um, certainly three of them went. And yeah. um, I think they had two games there, a uh, Star Wars and a Batman. Okay. And... Um, other companies who were invited along um, were companies like uh, 3M, uh, Lightspeed, Bicycle, Zippo Lighters, Airstream, and sort of Weaver guitar straps. They're companies which make iconically American products. Right. And so that was a, a very nice recognition of, of Stern's um, success, I suppose, in, um, in creating not just games, but also jobs in right. their area. So now I'm not entirely sure for who this uh, event is held. Um, obviously, it's nice to have 50 manufacturers representing uh, or presenting their products there. But mm-hmm. um, I did see some coverage, uh, some some uh, TV coverage of the event, um, where I think President Trump was walking in the garden of the uh, the White House, where some companies were presenting their products. So he walked by a couple, then he did a speech of an hour, and then I think he left. So. Not sure, even sure whether he went inside and looked at all the other companies. Hmm. Well, let's, let's hope so. Um, but uh, either way, it's a nice, uh, nice gesture and a nice bit of recognition for uh, yeah, Stern actually, and for Pimble as, right. as being a, a quintessential part of uh, American culture. Yeah. Surprisingly, Stern did not report anything on that. Um, mm. It was brought yeah. to my attention uh, because somebody else caught it on a uh, local Chicago. Uh, news channel uh, posted a uh, um, a photo of his basically TV with the news channel on, um, but Stern did not send out a press release or anything like that. At least not to me, or and maybe not to you as well. No, no, I, d- I only found out found out about it via other means as well. Yeah, uh, but um, it, it, it was advertised, but there was. Um, Evidence listed as one of the 50 companies and in, in uh, all sort of um, national coverage of that event. Right. So, um, hmm. okay. Other Stern news or that was it? No, no, there's more. No. Um, Christopher Franchi, uh, our good friend uh, in, the, in the, uh, the artist design department. Right. Uh, he was interviewed on the Head to Head podcast recently. Uh, and despite rumours or uh, suggestions that uh, he and Stern have uh, gone their separate ways, he did say he was still working for Stern, taking a little bit of a break right now. Right. Um, so we probably expect to see some stuff from him. One thing that Stern announced recently was that uh, in their shop, in their Stern shop, you can buy the Monsters T-shirts, which um, use artwork created by, by Christopher Franchi 
for I don't, uh, I, wouldn't, I was going to say it's for the game, but I think it's probably um, uniquely for the T-shirts. So whether that's the the, um, the direction in which he's working for Stern at the moment, or whether he's uh, going to be working on games again very shortly, I don't, or even now, right. I don't know. But he was certainly you can certainly pick up a the Monsters T-shirt from the Stern shop with some uh, Christopher Franchi artwork on it. Right, so now um, we know already for like two months that uh, Franchi is sort of on a break uh, with Stern. Um, not sure whether it's an elephant in the room, but now that they have Johnny Crabb doing the uh, artwork for uh, Jurassic Park, um, if I look at his um, it, the style of artwork that is used on the cabinet over there, um, that could be considered sort of like similar to Frenchy. So now that Johnny, Johnny Crabb is sort of like introduced to Stern, which actually uh, I was um, told by uh, Stephen Martin of the art department, he was introduced to uh, Zombie Yeti, uh, or in, the art department oh. was introduced to Johnny Crabb through Zombie Yeti. And um, uh, now you have, just have to wonder, okay, so if they're looking for a certain style of artwork, now they have two t- uh, choices. So it's up to, to the art department to make a choice, like do we want to work with Frenchy or do we want to work with Johnny Crabb? Well, also, it depends on their availability. I mean, they both have other, other you know, both, I'm sure they're both freelancers and they have other clients they need to service as well. I mean, um, Johnny Crabb, does a lot of sort of album art. That's uh, I think that's the link to um, to Zombie Yeti that he had from doing um, artwork for Slayer and uh, other other bands. Anthrax, which Anthrax. is also not a very uh, uncommon name uh, relating to Stern. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, how much time could, can he devote to to doing pinball, or is he you know, just going to pick up jobs as and when he can? I don't know how busy his schedule is. Um, well, Stern have a, have a pretty regular schedule of, uh, of game artwork that they need producing, so I think they want they like to have people who can they can rely on to uh, to produce you know on a, on a fairly regular basis. Right now, speaking of Christopher Frenchy, um, mm. let me sidestep a little bit here. Um, the Texas Pinball Festival did reveal um, the theme, so to speak, for their um, upcoming. 2020 show, which is uh, uh, which will be the last weekend of March, held at the uh, Embassy Suites in Frisco, Texas. Yeah, as in the past couple of years. Yes, um, and the good news is that um, we both will be there, and we will our, indeed. Uh, yes, but speaking of the artwork, um, this was presented uh, through uh, the Texas Pinball Festival social media channels, and uh, where we see a, I think it's called an armadillo. Um, yep. Playing a belly pinball game and leaning heavily uh, over the pinball machine, looking at the playfield. Um, so um, that's what Christopher Frenchy has been working on, as the artwork is done by um, by him. And obviously, uh, it's, I expect it's not going to be that one single image. Um, usually, the Texas Pinball Festival needs more artwork for their badges and banners and what yeah, have you. So like posters, t-shirts. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, so I expect Christopher to be working on that, which is um, good for him. Congratulations on uh, on that. Yeah, I mean, not 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 the first show he's done artwork for, of course. No, he did true. The fantastic one um, earlier this year. 
Um, yes, and um, uh, well, it's keeping him off the street, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and talking of um, of artwork and um, and Stern, um, that takes us rather neatly into the thirty years of Stern book which uh, there's been a little update just very recently. Yeah, it's now two and a half years late. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not the update. Oh. That it is two and a half years late. Uh, the update is that um, after having said they were going to re- redesign all the, all the layout on the, on the pages, they said they, um, this month they are 75% through reworking the, the, uh, the layout. Uh, last month they were 50%. And they have been producing a, a few monthly updates as they had promised um, at last. Right. So on that basis, if they keep going and they, no, no one goes away on, on vacation or holiday over the summer, uh, next month it should be at 100% done. No, it shouldn't because in the meantime, Stern released two new games. And of course, they need pictures and what have you. So that's going to take at least another six months. On that basis, they will never, be, never catch up. Well, yeah, they'll well. always be chasing their tail. Yeah, uh, I imagine that um, the latest games are not going to be in in that. It's, it, it is. Well, that is. has been their excuse to say, like, oh, we're going to inc- include more games. If they would be strict, then they're going to do a book on thirty years of Stern. But they're already doing thirty-two years of Stern, I think. Mm. And um, uh, as an editor, um, I did see a. Um, um, the 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 spread for the um, the Simpsons Pinball Party page, yes. mm-hmm. um, which was crammed with like forty images spread over two pages um, to give you an impression of the game. I think I counted at least three uh, cabinet photos and five Homer heads, and I was like, it makes no sense. I mean, they could have done. Um, half of these uh, the number of images and still get a, a better representation of the game. It did strike me as being slightly odd. It almost almost like they were just given all the art files for that game, and it it seemed to have all the all, all the decals in the game um, represented on the page. And I thought, well, okay, you got decals from like you know, the itchy and scratchy drop targets. On there, you've got the long decal that runs along the side of the the monorail track. Um, I thought well, I couldn't see any particular reason for them to be there, other than the fact that they they filled a gap. Right. But you know, may, maybe in the surrounding text, which was too small for me to read at the size that, that I saw it, there'll be some explanation of, uh, of what those are, and maybe some, some little interesting tidbits of information about how they how they came about. Who right. Knows? So, but. Um... Okay, oh well. I just hope they get that book finished. <laughs> yeah, I think all the people who are still in there who haven't got their money back by now are also hoping to uh, to get their, their copies um, this year sometime. Well, that's very ambitious. This year, you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know where are we. We're in the start of August. So August, September, October, November, December. Five yeah, months. Okay, so well, if they wait a little longer, happen. they could do... Uh, 33 and the third years of Stern Pinball. That might make sense. It's sort of like a reference to uh, yeah, uh, long, long the, play uh, vinyl, which which is long play vinyl. So that sort of makes sense. Um, we could bring out picture vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so anyway, um, oh well, we'll see how uh, how that all will go. 
Um, yes. Okay. So, so more more stern news. Oh my Even god! More. My god! It's it's all been happening this month, hasn't it? Um, there's been a, a, a making of Black Knight um, sort of rage video. Right. Stern. Sort of goes behind the scenes, talks to the design teams, explains the the processes uh, behind making that particular game. Um, obviously talking to Steve Ritchie about his uh, inspiration and his uh, design for the playfield and, the, and what he what he intended it to be. Um, and I uh, think, uh, what else can I say? Oh, yeah, finally, I think, um, from Stern, I can say that um, Johannes Ostermeyer, who won the IFPA World Championship uh, recently, uh, got his, uh, his prize, which was uh, an Iron Maiden Pro through um so congratulations to him well deserved i think everybody who who saw him win that that world championship uh, would agree he's thoroughly deserving of that uh, that game and yeah. uh, so uh, it's nice to see uh, the winner along with his prize you know often we, we don't get to see that bit because it gets delivered weeks after the actual event but um it's nice pictures on social media of uh, johannes with his prize so congratulations right okay so, are we done with Stern? <laughs> I think we're probably done with Stern for now. I've just scrolled down my list of features. Yes, I think we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, obviously, quite a lot of news from Stern, which is a good thing. Uh, are two new games, um, code updates, um, and a lot of other activities going on. They're keeping themselves uh, very, very busy. They are, and but but so are other pinball companies. You know, there's still plenty of other news from uh, from other manufacturers of, uh, of pinballs. Right. Let's move on to uh, the other big news of last month, which was actually quite early in the month. Um, the news that uh, Dutch Pinball sent out a newsletter with um, several interesting news bits. Um, the, the most positive one being that they reached a settlement with their former contract manufacturer, ARA. Unfortunately, yes. there was also not so good news in the sense that um, Jaap Nauta, who was uh, one of the um, uh, two um, uh, directors, I would say, or, or managers, founders. In the, uh, founders of the company, um, is terminally ill with um, um, cancer. Um, he was treated last year. Um, they actually cured him at that point in time but the cancer sadly returned and um, it's not looking good for him at the moment um, there's nothing doctors uh, can do and it's just a matter of time He's, uh, um, I guess you could call him um, sort of like a ticking time bomb hmm. which is yeah. uh, very sad and um, I'm very sorry for uh, for Jaap and, um, I'm sure our thoughts go out to him at this time yeah, um, what I did notice is that, um, and other people who might have, uh, uh, who might follow Yap on his Facebook, um, um, might have noticed that they, uh, he has not been involved in any pinball activities lately, and he's sort of like more trying to enjoy the rest of whatever mm-hmm. is left for him. Um, yes, he's traveling quite a bit, which is yes. uh, which is great. Yeah. So, um, so he is to hoping that Jaap will um, get the most out of um, the time that he has left um, on this planet, so to speak. Yes, and as, as part of that, he, is, um, he has relinquished his, his role at Touch Pinball and Barry has taken over sort of sole responsibility for the company. Is, is yes. That, is that 
Yes, that is correct. Um, um, I have been talking quite frequently to Barry uh, over the past couple of weeks, uh, if not months even. And um, obviously with, with cancer as a disease and uh, multiple, um, um, what's the word? Um, Symptoms. Yes. Um, obviously, Yap is at the moment still feeling rather good, uh, but you never know when he won't be. And um, I guess they figured um, while he's still in the position to um, take care of his own business, so to speak, they figured to um, to make all the arrangements that he would be no longer actively involved in uh, the management of Dutch pinball, uh, while he, yeah. um, instead yeah. of when he would no longer be in the position to to act on that, and then family would have to step in and what have you. So yeah, he has uh, other priorities at the moment. So uh, right, I support that he gets to deal with that and uh, enjoy the time. Right. So so, so, so Barry's the uh, Barry is, I suppose, Dutch pinball, or at least is the face of Dutch pinball. Um, uh, the face definitely. Um, I don't know whether Dutch Pimble was just Barry and Jap or whether there are more people involved, uh, but not as publicly known. Yes. Um, but I guess it's safe to say that at the moment it, it appears that Barry is Dutch Pimble. Yes. Yeah. So um, looking at this this court case, which um, obviously Dutch Pimble thought Barry and Jap thought they had a very strong case. Um, against Ara, who uh, who they say increased the price of the game unilaterally and um, and without uh, consultation or and or in breach of their agreement, obviously the court disagreed with that. Well, not necessarily, um, and um, I guess this is a um, a story best to be told by Barry, who will be a um, giving us an exclusive interview in. Um, in a future special podcast, um, uh, hopefully soon. Um, at the moment, Barry is too busy taking care of uh, other stuff, which we'll get to in a second. Yes, exactly. Uh, but we'll get that exclusive interview. I know people. Some people were expecting that to happen days after the newsletter went out, but um, um, I guess Barry is right now at the point that he wants to do the interview. Um, the moment that he has taken care of everything that needs to be taken care of, so people won't be sorry for my yeah. part of my French bitching about oh, but you didn't take care of this, and now look what you've done. And no, he wants to make sure that everything yeah. is sort of um, um, whatever he can take care of is taken care of, so that he then can move forward without people pointing fingers and uh, and stuff like that so well the, the story is evolving even as we speak you know right. the action is taking place in order to move move events on and to do the interview at this moment would be to sort of dive in while some some matters are, are resolved and some matters are unresolved so far better to actually be able to come and, and talk to us and give us some actual detail of what is going to happen rather than to say what he hopes is going to happen right Exactly. So, um, but getting back to um, what we, what you just mentioned, um, yeah, the court case. Uh, well, the, the court case um, where Dutch Pinball um, was uh, very convinced that they had a very strong case against Ara. Um, 
I know some details, um, which I'm probably am not able to share. Um, but what it eventually came down to is, um, I think the judge ordered them three or four times to like try to reach a settlement um, because you're not going to like what happens when I, uh, the court rules. Basically, yeah. that's in between what you could read in between the lines. And um, uh, eventually, um, it turns out um, that the, the, the court ruled uh, based on a... Um, uh, a question, and in hindsight, that question po probably should have been rephrased. So, uh, but since that was the, the the question that was asked to the court to rule on, the court ruled on that question, which I don't even know because I haven't seen the court details. But obviously, I've been talking to Barry. Um, but what it comes down to is the court ruled in favor of Ara, and. Yeah. Um, um, I knew about that. Um, Barry had been, um, he was three weeks before the newsletter that was sent out, he was ready to send out um, uh, a newsletter that contained the news of um, Yap. And at that point, the uh, there was no ruling, no final ruling in the court case. Or, no, let me rephrase it. There was a ruling in the court case, but they still had the possibility to go appeal to it. And um, that was supposed to be the news that was going out. And um, I helped rewrite that newsletter for Barry, um, knowing that, um, if you don't mind me saying, uh, Barry's English tends to be a little Dutch so to speak. There's yeah. a, a certain way of writing which is very recognizable for Dutch people. And as a magazine editor, I sort of try to avoid writing in such a way. But um, it's still very clear with when Barry is writing something in English. Anyway, um, so I helped him with that newsletter. And um, I was talking to Barry over the phone and uh, Basically, the newsletter was ready to go, and he said, well, um, he, he was going to reach out to um, someone at the um, uh, management level of the holding that is owning ARA as a company. ARA is part of a, of a holding, and basically they were in court, they were actually uh, uh, not so much fighting ARA as they were fighting the management of the holding above that. So anyway, so what happened uh, is that uh, Barry told me, I think we talked about lunchtime, he told me that he was uh, going to make a private call instead of um, uh, having a lawyer call. Yeah. And um, uh, there was a situation, um, he was trying to negotiate with ARA and um, uh, they said, no, we're only going to talk to you if you do such and such first. And Barry was like, well, if I do such and such first, then then we're done. Then there's no more Dutch pinball. So if that's what you want, then, then what's the benefit for you? Because then you're not getting anything and nobody's getting anything. So what he did was he made a, um, while that newsletter was ready to go, he made a, uh, a call to this uh, manager 
and um, they talked. And basically, I guess it's safe to say that Barry laid his cards on the table. And he figured, like, okay, well, you guys can uh, execute the ruling. Then there's no more Dutch pinball. Or I can offer, make you an offer, see if you can raise the money, take, the, take everything that you have from your hands. Uh, because what would happen if there is... Uh, if they would execute the ruling, then a um, um, executioner, I guess, uh, would come in to see like how much money is left, yeah. going to uh, the, uh, the to to pay Ara and then make up the balance. Like, okay, what's left in parts? That could take months, and um, I guess pretty much to Barry's surprise, they actually reached a settlement. Um, which he was very excited about, of course, um, and um, that held him, uh, stopped him from sending that newsletter that day. Um, and then it took three more weeks before that newsletter, uh, two or three more weeks before the newsletter that was sent out was sent out, if you're still following me. Yeah, so the, the basis of the agreement is... Um, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that a certain sum of money will be paid to Ara in return for which the the, the completed games or the semi-completed games, all the, all the box games, will be transferred to Dutch Pinball along with all the existing parts for future games. Um, and that... And that is the end. That is the sort of end of the dealings that Ara and Dutch Pinball have together. Yeah. Um, I, um, Does that sound about right? Well, I guess um, Dutch Pinball isn't paying Ara. They are paying the holding company. Right. Um, okay. um, and um, but basically, they agreed that Ara would be selling them everything related to that project. That's yeah. my understanding, including any intellectual property and what have you uh, that, that might have been Aras or I don't know. Um, and lawyers actually looked into that matter as well to make sure that, that they covered everything uh, there was to cover, I guess. Um, what's also interesting to, uh, to notice is I think a week after... Um, Barry reached this agreement, uh, so to speak. Um, obviously, um, the, 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 I'm, I'm referring to it as ARA, but it was the upper manager, of yes. course. Um, uh, basically, they said, like, you're getting everything that's here Dutch pinball related, but um, no warranties in the sense mm. that uh, stuff had been standing there for two years, um, and uh, so they're not okay. I can understand that. Uh, yeah, Ara would say that. Yes. Yeah, they want to wash um, their hands the whole thing and move on. Yeah. Yes. Um, from Barry, I could understand that he said, like, well, I'd like to see what I'm getting first, which is also understandable. And uh, so a week later, after the um, uh, settlement was agreed on, um, Barry actually paid a, uh, a visit to Ara, and I was um, fortunate enough to be part of that visit as well. Mm-hmm. So we went to Ara, I have to say that everybody was happy to see Barry um, on, on, on 
floor management level and, and what have you. Um, good to see him. And uh, also people working in the factory were happy to see him. Um, very uh, friendly environment, I would say. So there's no, between the working crew at ARA and Dutch Pinball, there's no animosity there whatsoever. Uh, which I think is, um, well, something I noticed and that's what I'm telling you now. So, um, and it turns out um, the entire production line of Dutch Pinball uh, had been disassembled last December because ARA is expanding and they needed that area to expand uh, for, for a different project, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, they had moved everything into a um, a different hole um, where they basically they have a storage facility, something on a uh, first floor level. Okay. So they moved uh, everything over there. Um, we went to see it. It's like six truckloads of games and parts. So that, that's that's quite big. Um, and uh, so the games were there um, Barry opened up a box to see the condition of the game um, which I uh, it's safe to say pristine condition the the, the games had been in a, a stored in a climate controlled uh, environment all the time um, we inspected some of the um, of the parts that were um, also uh, present and um, there was some fear that there might be some uh, corrosion on uh, metal parts. Mm, None of yeah. that was the case. Everything looked like it was just it just was cut or um, ready to be implemented on a game. It looked in pristine condition. So uh, that was a relief uh, because Barry was afraid, of course, that there would be... Um, well, if yeah. parts have, would have corroded or something like that, he couldn't. Oh. They, yeah, that, yeah. Um, basically, um, everything looks like it's ready to go and or put a build into a game. It should all work fine. And um, uh, so that was that visit, um, which was an interesting one, I'd say. And um, then obviously Barry had to start taking care of stuff because mm. if you have to move. Um, uh, six trucks of games and parts. Well, before um, that, before that, he has to pay um, our or the, or the holding company, right? Uh, what what they're owed in order to take possession of those, right? So so he has to get some money, right? So and um, he went after that, and um, the uh, well, that's one of the things he started uh, had to take care of. Obviously, um, he also had to make sure that he has the room or the facility to. If he once he picks up all that stuff to put it to store it or to yeah well obviously you can't leave it in trucks and uh, it needs to move from Ara and um, so it's been he has been uh, busy with that and uh, part of the payment um, going uh, to Ara I guess is being funded by um, the sale of. Uh, I guess 38 or 40, the numbers vary a little bit, uh, games that uh, that were offered by Cointaker um, at a new price of $12,500, uh, I think. Uh, 
Yeah, that's right. And yeah, they, yeah. yeah, and then they would be air freighted um, to the US, I guess. Um, and at that point, I'm not even sure whether that includes air freight to whoever bought them or if that's just a part from Dutch Pinball to Cointaker and then Cointaker takes care of the rest of picking up games or uh, delivering them or whatever. I don't know. Um, didn't ask for details on that and so on. But um, uh, yeah, that happened. Um, some people got upset about that. Um, I can understand why it happened. Obviously, um, it was the easiest way for Dutch Pinball to, um, to collect money in order to pay at least... Um, a large amount of what is owed to ARA and then in the meantime Barry also had to look for the remaining part of that sum of money that is owed to um, uh, ARA. And, right, um, so, so, the, so the coin taker purchase wasn't wasn't enough to pay off ARA, there was still some, some extra money needed to be found from somewhere. Yeah, I'm not going to dive into numbers, I'm not going to no. share, share those uh, that information. I know what the settlement is uh, uh, based on and obviously the, the the prices known that what Cointaker is selling these games for, um, you can um, make assumptions on how much they are paying for those games and, and yeah. what have you. So, um, but um, yeah, well, obviously uh, at, at uh, ARA, there's not only the games, there's also the parts. But so it's not not a surprise that. Um, the, the total amount uh, that ARA needs to be paid is more than what Cointaker is paying for those games. So, um, but as far as I understood, Barry has uh, been talking to um, um, parties uh, that might be able to help him out with that. And uh, I don't think it's up to me to give any details on that, but... It's safe to say, I guess, that he found a party or parties, yeah. I don't know. Um, so um, if all goes as planned, um, then Ara will be paid this week and the 40 games or 38 or whatever, the games at Ara, um, Barry is seriously looking to move them this week out of Ara. And um, that's actually quite, um, well, I wouldn't call it crucial, but there is a, a little bit of time pressure. Yeah, there's as, a deadline. Well, there's a deadline in the sense that ARA will be closing their factory for three weeks due to a summer break, uh, which starts at the end of this week, which means that Barry has uh, two days left to make sure that the payment is made and to get the games out, which is... Um, Quite stressful on his end, uh, but I'm sure that he will do his utter best to make sure it happens. So. And, and you're only looking to get the games out this week. He's not trying to get all the parts out as well. No. Um, um, what well, I understood... Quite a large undertaking to get. Well, well, he reckons about 100 games worth of parts. I think there think? is... Um, from what I understood... Um, there's at least parts for a hundred games, but some parts are there's yeah uh, more of some more of some. So for for um, a certain 
parts are there to to for for 200 games, but not everything. But at least there's there should be parts for like 100 games, something like that. So, which is actually a good thing because that means um, if they would if they are able to main, uh, assemble those games and sell them, um, that would get them in the, into the black numbers. Uh, rather easily, and then it's just a matter of ordering more parts, building more games, and keeping that going up to the point where they actually deliver the games that are owed to the early achievers, the pre-order people, and yes. uh, which I still firmly believe I have no indication that Barry is doing his utter best to make sure that early achievers will still get their games. Not at the pace some that would like to see, but in the end. Barry is doing everything he can to make sure that everybody will get the game that they are owed. Okay, well, I'm sure I'm sure his intentions are good, um, but we know how difficult it is. We know how making pinball is hard, uh, without wishing to trivialise that. And um, having having a, a big pile of parts for 100 games is uh, a long way from having 100 complete games ready to go. And, and I know that Barry's... Know, got very good experience in setting up the manufacturing, both at Ara and and trying to do the same thing with Zytec. But actually going ahead and building it and uh, having the premises where you can manufacture, not just store the parts, but manufacture the games, the people, uh, all the costs involved in that. You know, it all mounts up, and uh, uh, people generally say it costs around a million pounds to set up a company, probably more, sorry, a million dollars rather. Um, more now um, if you're starting from scratch and he has got a game and he has got parts so that's a good start but I would I would never underestimate the amount of effort and time and resources and complications involved in setting up a manufacturing facility for a pinball machine and we've seen it happen many times in the past and uh, right. it's not always well it's never never anything like as simple as people think it is no true I agree um, then again uh, Barry has done it twice before and uh, so that that gives him an advantage, I'd say. Um, I can see him pull it off. I'm that confident. So, uh, and again, it might not go at the pace that some people would like to see it happen, but um, I'm confident that it will happen. So, um, um, I, um, I'm almost at the point that I would say... Uh, if Dutch Pinball can take this last hurdle, then there's a bright future for them. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm a lot more sceptical than you are, but uh, but you have, a, have more inside information, but maybe you're also closer to Barry and uh, maybe see things in a slightly more positive or optimistic frame of mind. Right. So, um, so that's uh, where we are at the moment. Um, the, the, the money is uh, planning to be transferred this week and the, and the games will hopefully be released from the factory as part of the settlement. The parts will stay in the factory until after the, the three weeks summer break. Right. Yes. Uh, and, that, and Barry has somewhere for those parts to go. Yes, he arranged the facility. And um, uh, just to clear up uh, something that uh, I've, I've read some... Uh, I gave up reading stuff on this subject online uh, because there's so much nonsense being... Uh, assumed by people who have no skin in this game whatsoever. Um, my understanding is that um, once the games are moved from 
uh, ARA to Dutch Pinball's new facility, the plan is that every game will be unboxed, tested, um, and reboxed uh, without any of the original uh, plaques and such on yeah. it, because these obviously are supposed to go to the games that actually will go to those early achievers. Um, but the yeah, game going they to all bought numbered games, isn't they? That's the point. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, and these but won't be the numbered games anymore. Um, what, what, they won't be numbered with those numbers anyway. Put it that yeah. Way. Exactly. So and um, um, so, Coin Taker will be receiving uh, the, all the games going to Coin Taker will be tested first. So uh, it's not like. Um, oh, you're not you. You don't know what you're buying, and uh, you get a, a game that's been sitting in a in a box for two years. Um, no, you get a completely tested game that that tested okay, um, just a couple of weeks before it it uh, was sent out. And uh, with the the summer break at Arad, these three weeks, hopefully, should be enough for Barry to test these games, rebox them, ship them out the door so that he has enough room for when the parts come in. Mm, yeah. Um, to end this uh, on a uh, sort of positive note, I'm still, like I said, very confident that um, Barry is doing everything in his ability to make sure that he gets his company sort of on track and uh, that, that people who are owed games will get their games and uh, hopefully, they will be able to build more games after that in order to uh, to make sure that their um, that that Dutch pinball has um, a, a bright future, so to speak. Hmm. Well, I'm hopeful as well. I'm just uh, just skeptical a little more as well. And oh, I know. I, I kind of have to be. That's, yeah. Uh, if we no, if fine. we were both if we were both singing their praises and saying you know everything was everything's going to be a bright future, then uh, it would be a bit uh, unbelievable. No, uh, no. Yeah, as you said uh, earlier, when we were before we started having this discussion, a good cop, bad cop type thing. But yeah, uh, but that's that's perfectly reasonable. And uh, but I think Barry, um, uh, a lot of people don't understand how much um, trouble Barry went through to uh, make things happen in the end. And uh, obviously, the court case has taken its toll on him as well. And um, but yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's an unexpected twist, and and uh, and it turns out to be like at the end of the tunnel after all. So um, yeah, so fingers crossed. That's, uh, exactly. Yeah, let, let's wish Barry and uh, and of course Yap as well all the best, and uh, we'll uh, we pick up the story next time or uh, when we get to talk to Barry, uh, whichever is the, uh, the the sooner, whether it's next month or before that. Yeah. Okay, in other news, um, first of all, let me start with something that is not related to a pinball company. But um, July 29th, we celebrated Wayne Iron's 101st birthday. Congratulations yeah, to congratulations Wayne, Wayne Very happy birthday to, to Wayne. Yeah, I talked to Wayne. Uh, I called him uh, on his birthday to wish him a uh, happy birthday. And um, I can tell you that... Um, He's still living uh, at his home in uh, Mountain Home, Arkansas, mm-hmm. by himself. He's still driving a car. He's still doing his own groceries. Um, he did start sort of walking with a cane to to have a little bit more balance because obviously, God forbid, that yeah, he falls over. Yeah, understandable. 
Um, but he's still um, still living on his own, and um, he's hanging in there. So, and he was very happy with all the calls that he got and the cards that uh, were delivered uh, by post and uh, and all that. So. And if you're wondering, like, who is this Wayne Nines? I never heard of this guy before. <laughs> um, may I refer to you uh, to read Pinball Magazine number five, which is a 360-page magazine or book, if you uh, may want to call it, um, that covers the entire career of Wayne Nines um, in depth, including all of the 180 pinball machines he designed for the Gottlieb Company. Wow, that's an amazing achievement, and um, it's excellent the way that you you uh, cover that in People Magazine. So, thank you for doing that. It's a it's a worthy tribute to Wayne's long and distinguished career. Right, and um, so I won't be plugging the magazine any uh, further, but. You know where to order your copy. Uh, just Google Pinball Magazine, and you should easily find it. Um, Absolutely, and it's a very good chance that uh, some of Wayne's games would have been included in a new exhibition of pinball photographs that's uh, that's about to uh, begin. I think uh, probably uh, even by the time you hear this, it, it may have started. Uh, it starts are... August the second, exactly, and it, it, yeah. and it runs till uh, for the entire month of August until the thirty-first, uh, and it's taking place in Newtown, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I don't know where in Pennsylvania Newtown is, but um, I guess if you're in the area, you would know where that is. Possibly, yeah, and else you just Google it, and um, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. It's called the Pinball Photography Exhibit. Um, I've got to write down the name of the photographer whose photos are being exhibited. Uh, that would be Charles Acosta, ah. who's, uh, who does a, a pinball photographs website. And um, it's being the, the exhibition is being held at the, at the Countryside Gallery in Newtown. As you said, it runs from the second to the end of the month. But there is on the 23rd of August, there is a meet and greet event with Charles, where you can uh, go along and obviously um, talk to the photographer himself, and uh, I guess get some um, sort of flyers and um, things signed by him. Uh, but the, the, the really nice thing about this is the whole exhibition is, is sponsored by Jersey Jack Pinball. Oh. So, so that's nice. That's a, 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 you know, a sort of um, generous means of sort of spreading the word of pinball amongst the art community who may not be aware of it. Um, thanks to Jersey Jack. So, right. uh, does that them. mean there will be Jersey Jack pinball machines playable at the uh, event? I'm not not sure about that yet, um, as it's not a million miles away from uh, the Jersey Jack factory uh, in Pennsylvania, um, but. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see for that. Um, wait and see a couple of days, and I'm sure there'll be reports available. But uh, even without those, um, some some wonderful photographs of, of pinball machines um, and and the artwork on them um, available if you're available to get to Newtown in uh, Pennsylvania this month. Right. So, um, so which manufacturer would you like to discuss next? Oh, let's uh, let's see. Let's. Um, Let's talk about um, HomePin, shall we? And, sure. uh, and And what Mike has been doing at the factory in, in China. Right. 
Colin, ah, okay. sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for you. Um, so um, it has been rather uh, silent on on Homepin's Facebook, but they did share a uh, reversed or a photo of the underside of a uh, playfield, pinball playfield, uh, being cut, I guess, um, which would be their second game in the making. Uh, so, because it was clearly wasn't Thunderbirds, um, they are still building uh, Thunderbird games, by the way. Um, but they are working on a second game. Um, I actually happened to talk to Mike, I think, early in the month, um, last month. Um, he didn't want to give any details on the game uh, that was shown on that photo, uh, but my guess is. Uh, it will be a game that is aiming for the Chinese market uh, with a, uh, a theme that is um, aiming at the Chinese market and it's going to be a very simplistic game, um, which sort of makes sense. If you have to teach people how to play pinball that never played pinball before, then you better start with a simple game and then make them more complex along the way. Um, so. Yeah, from what I, what I was able to glean from that picture, um, it, it seemed to have a lot of inserts in the middle of the playfield. Right. But, uh, but um, looked like it had three pop bumpers towards the top of the playfield, which not, not a big surprise. Um, a three bank of drop targets, I think, as well, just be, just in front of those. Um, looked looked like it was from what we could see. It was a, it was a it was a sparsely populated playfield. It was it was on the production line, um, and was was semi-populated so um two two flippers at the bottom no obvious signs about the flippers elsewhere but also a, a big hole in the middle well yeah just above the flippers where it looked like some either some kind of mechanism or some kind of insert was going to go revealing something underneath the play field um not exactly clear what that is uh, mike did tell me what the theme what the, what the subject of the of it is a while ago but it wasn't anything i'd ever heard of so I instantly forgot what it was, and I've been trying to remember what it was ever since. But it was certainly something which is a, a, a Chinese title. Uh, although um, when I was um, when I was talking to him, there was somebody else in earshot who um, who knew what it was. So maybe that makes just me not being clued up on popular culture enough. But I have looked and uh, tried try to see what uh, popular culture themes are in China at the moment or recently. But there's nothing there that, that rang a bell with anything that he said. Uh, um, I don't think it's something that's going to be hugely well known over here, but m maybe maybe familiar to a few people. Right. Well, um, obviously, um, being based in China, it's no surprise that uh, Mike is trying to cater to his sort of home market, I would say. Um, which doesn't mean that the games are going in homes, but basically to the local or national Chinese um, arcade culture. Uh, that makes sense. Um, there was a, um, a trade show uh, last month in, um, I forgot the name of the city, uh, Guangzhou or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I understood there is uh, definitely interest from operators um, in the game, but obviously they need games to be in Chinese with Chinese signs on the playfield and uh, back glass and what have you. Um, mm. 
and so that's what Mike is working on. So it might be a game that we never see in uh, in the rest of the world. Or oh, I'm sure. yeah, I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure. I'm sure it'd be easy enough to rescreen it and with, uh, with English language um, details and, uh, and labeling on the playfield. Right, but, but if, uh, if, if it's a good game and it sells well, it'll it'll work its way over here. I'm sure. Well, um, uh, the interesting thing is, obviously, the Chinese market is a um, um, different one than uh, the Western Europe or the Western world one, I would say. Um, but obviously, for if market would be able to uh, get some interest from um, arcade operators or whatever they are uh, called in China, um, there's a huge market at the, within reach for him. Um, I mean, if he comes up with a game that actually earns good money for operators, then then he can build them forever, I guess. Mm. Well, Gary Stern's been over in China and trying to break into that market for True. years. Years, but I guess um, um, with with limited success, it has had some success. Um, if you go to some some parts of uh, of China, um, particularly like Hong Kong and um, yeah, well, the expat bars and so Macau on, and places like that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, what I understood is that the uh, Stern games are um, relatively expensive for operators to buy, and uh, Homepin is really trying to to develop a um, affordable pinball machine. Let's put it like that for operators, and then. Um, once they get the hang of it and it earns, then well, they might buy more. Um, yeah, so no, I guess that's that's the main advantage for uh, for Mike being in China. Yeah, and also you know it's totally free of any of these um, you know trade tariffs that might come and go over various times of American-made products into China. If there's a trade war that pushes up the price of uh, American parts or American games, then he's he's pretty much immune from that. Um, sourcing so much of, of uh, his product locally. Right. So, oh well, it's good to see that Mike is uh, busy and uh, working on new games. And um, I wish him all the best with that. And I hope we get yeah, to see more right. progress soon. Yep, I'm sure we will. Okay. So that's what uh, that's what Homepin have been up to um, in the past uh, few days. Uh, meanwhile. Um, Across American Pinball, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back, back to uh, back to the US and uh, American Pinball, who are uh, still producing uh, their Oktoberfest game right. in uh, what we think are, are reasonable quantities. Uh, and they are still at their uh, original base in right. Streamwood. They haven't haven't moved over to their new factory yet in Palatine, but they, uh, they do say they're moving more and more stuff over there as as time goes on. But they did say they well originally said they'd be over there by the end of last year, and that didn't seem practical. I think we both agreed on that. Right. And they have the, and then earlier in the year at Texas, I think they were saying they would be over there in in the summer, making that move. And uh, well, the summer's here, and um, so hopefully, over the next uh, couple of months or so, they will be able to transfer all their production over to the new place, uh, which will give them a hugely uh, larger area in which to produce games, not just their own games necessarily, but also if they wanted to get into contract manufacturing um, either uh, other pinball companies or other redemption or uh, arcade games. They have the space for it, and um, I think they have the facilities in general to, to do that kind of work. Right. So now, surprisingly, um, 
uh, American Pinball did start showing uh, several photos of keys on their uh, Facebook <laughs> page. Hmm. Yes. Um, potentially misleading, I think. Um, there are a lot of people. Th- well, intentionally they, they, misleading, I would probably yes, say. <laughs> I think so. They did float a few ideas as to what their, their next title might be. The most popular of which was Sherlock. Do you get it? Keys, lock. Yeah, well, it could be. But I'm, I'm hearing that actually Sherlock is not their next title, um, which makes you wonder what, what the key connection could be. One of the other titles they were, they were suggesting or asking people to vote on was Robin Hood, uh, which um, is a, a, obviously an old old theme for, for pinball. And um, it, you would think, well, what's the link there with keys? Oh, I know exactly uh, what the link is with keys. Ah, right. But okay. you have to know the Robin Hood story. You do indeed. Yeah, you need to know that uh, Robin Hood is actually uh, Robin of Loxley, uh, is his full name. Um, so, Loxley, well, key, lock, well, maybe. Maybe that's stretching things a bit even further than the Sherlock connection. Right. And maybe it's something else entirely. But um, I could think be both. Uh, it could be. Maybe maybe it's a crossover game. It's, uh, well, no, uh, but, but Sherlock Holmes meets Robin Hood. Well, you get if if you have a reference to a keys and keys go in a lock, then you got Sherlock and you got mm-hmm. Robin of Locksley. Exactly. Yeah. So, so there. Okay. Still. Okay. Uh, I guess from the four titles that have been teased, uh, this might narrow it down to two. But then again, it might not. Yeah, there's also a little bit of confusion, I think, because they, um, one of the pictures they featured something to do with the, the Punisher, which is a, a Marvel uh, license. Right. I think they, I they think already they... denied that it's not going to be yes. uh, the Punisher. I, yeah, I had to quickly get on there and uh, deny any uh, suggestion they were going to be t- doing a Marvel license. <laughs> I think it's quite yeah. funny. If it's, uh, I think Dan... Uh, from there said, uh, you know, there's only one company that can afford to do Marvel licenses, and it's not us. Right. Which is a fair point. So, um, yeah, so it's probably probably going to be, well, uh, my money at the moment is on uh, Robin Hood, but um, it would be nice to see a Sherlock, and but maybe that's going to come later. Or maybe there are some other, maybe there are some licensing issues with that that we're not previously aware of, and that means they can't do it. Right, okay. Um... Then let's uh, move on to our good friends um, at Pinsound. Ah, yes, yes, they've been busy um, working on, well, apart from producing their, their wonderful Pinsound audio board and um, various other pinball add-ons, they've uh, come up with a with a whole new idea, um, taking the, the, the concept of a shaker motor a little bit further than um, we've seen before. Right. And um, it looks very interesting, I have to say. Uh, basically, what it comes down to is um, you will be uh, able to install a shaker motor on basically any solid-state game, I guess, um, mm-hmm. and program um, the, the shaker motor to interact with gameplay in a yes. very easy way. Even games that weren't designed to have a shaker motor and don't have any programming in there, you'll be able to set up the, uh, the conditions at which the, the shaker motor is activated. Yeah. Um, I read their uh, original uh, posting on, on Facebook, I guess. No, they send out a newsletter as well. Right. Take note of Stern. 
pintone did. Um, um, the shaker motor has uh, 12 different vibration patterns and three adjustable power intensity levels. And it's also able for um, instant reactivity and ultra-fast start and stop. And the shaker motor comes with a uh, special designed motion control uh, PCB board, um, which also has a 5 volt output for external mods uh, that mm. can be um, energized through that and synced with gameplay as well. So if you have a topper or you want to add something to the play field and yeah. tie that in with gameplay, this is the board that can do it for you. Yeah, sounds like a sort of mod controller, really, isn't it? Which, yeah. Uh, which you can hook in and program however you want it to uh, to, to interact with the with the game's rules, and uh, I'm, I'm assuming it, uh, it it gets various sensors from the uh, from the controller board and works out uh, what's going on, and um, and when and for how long to activate in these things. Right, but um, congratulations to uh, Timothy and Nicholas of uh, Pinsound for uh, this announcement. Um, I think the uh, the strategy is that um, if you're interested in such a shaker motor, um, you can sign up uh, right now. And I think it's um, either during the summer or after the summer, then they're uh, going into production and starting delivery. But as Pinsound has a, uh, a very good track record, um, anybody interested, go. Hmm. Yeah, sounds like a very clever product. And um, talking of clever things, that's uh, one of the worst links yet. But um, let me let me recommend to you a, a website called uh, Playfield.dev, D-E-V, which is a pinball emulator debugger, which uh, which runs in your browser. It doesn't need any special code to be downloaded or anything. And once you load it up, it lets you pick from a range of uh, pinball machines, and you can then sort of uh, simulate closing switches, like the pressing the start button, the, the shooter lane, the pop bumpers, drop targets, that kind of thing on every game. Um, it has a picture of the display showing you what happens when you do all that. It shows you all the, um, the switch closures, the lamp matrix contents, what's in the memory of the, of the game, what's on the, what's on the dot matrix display's memory. Um, very, very clever stuff. Looks absolutely wonderful. And I have absolutely no idea what you'd use it for, but it, it's a marvelous piece of programming, and uh, it's a you know, it's something you should definitely have a look at. Try. There's a whole range of different games you can load up, and um, I guess if you're not entirely familiar with what a game is meant to do when certain switches are closed, or what the display is meant to do, or what the or the state of the memory is meant to be at any particular point, you're trying to debug that game. This is a, a kind of like a reference point for you to where you can step through it and go, okay, well, when I shoot this target and that target, this is meant to happen, and you can see it happening on the game, and you can see if your game does the same thing or whether whether you have a fault, and uh, and what that fault might be. So very clever. Um, wonderful bit of programming, um, and I think on the website there's a bit more information about uh, who did it and why. But, right. Um, and all the software uh, is already on the website, or do you have to upload ROMs nope. or software as well? No, nope. no, it has a has a limited set of games on there, and which you can pick. They're all listed across the top. You just click on a game, it loads it up, 
and uh, it's then it's ready to go. And it's okay. you know it's all within the browser. There's no nothing to download at all. All written in uh, in Java or JavaScript. Okay. I can't remember which, but uh, yeah, it looks very it looks very impressive anyway. So a nice bit of uh, of work there. Right. Okay. Hold on. Oh. Ah. Oh. Guess what? Oh, I was wondering when he was going to call. Yeah. So it's, it's Gary Stern at last. At last. Good, yeah. No, I, I got thought a, we'd done with all the Gary Stern. Well, I got good news and bad news for you. You got the first oh. name correct, but the last name incorrect. Oh, okay. Well, it's too nice to hear from uh, Mr. Flower. Yeah. I wonder how wonder how Gary is doing. Shall we uh, Shall we find out? Well, it's been he's been trying forever, and uh, you know what happens if we talk too long, then he just hangs up. And oh yeah, we don't do that. I'm sure he's got some really um, hot off the press news for us. Okay, so um, okay, hello. Hello, it's Gary here. Hello, Gary. Oh, hang on, there's. Uh... Someone at the door. Right. I'm going to put you on hold. I'll be back in a second. Oh. What? Wait. So, you want us to wait? You're, you're calling us and then you're putting us on hold? Sorry, but I don't think it works like that. <laughs> we no. haven't got time for that. We're in the middle of a podcast. Uh, well, in the middle, we're at the end of the podcast. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're nearly at the end of it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, so, is there anything else that we uh, that we missed out on? Um, yeah, there was um, there was a, a nice piece on um, on CBS's this morning TV, right? Uh, which Pacific was covered, Bi- yeah, Pacific Pinball exactly. Museum. Yes, yeah, they they sent a reporter there and uh, they did a really nice piece about the resurgence of pinball and the uh, the Pacific Pinball Museum's history and their you know their aims of uh, educating public about the history, art, and science of the game. Uh, interviews with Michael Sheese and uh, I think Darcy there as well, and, uh, and sort of showed how how people from across um, the social and um, I don't say political, but uh, the full spectrum of, of potential players can come to that place and uh, and learn and enjoy pinball and uh, the kind of exhibits that they showed there. I think they had a, an Art Stenholm exhibit at the time that when the when the crew were there. Um, so and give it a little bit of a boost as well for the, um, the Pacific Pinball Museum and their uh, their, their larger collection and uh, their hopes of getting a, a, a permanent home for their uh, thousand plus machines. So yeah. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, go to uh, CBS and have a look for uh, this morning's report on uh, the Pacific Pinball Museum. Right, or if you're in the area, just visit the Pacific Pinball Museum. Absolutely, that, that's uh, that's the best thing you can do. Quite right. Right. So um, now um, two topics um, that I have on my mind. Um, last month there was the um, uh, fantastic five days of uh, pinball in the UK uh, at tournament. You were there. Yeah, I certainly was, as it was my idea in the first place. So I kind of felt as if I should be. Um, yes, it was um, it was a nice nice event. I think uh, we held it at our Flip Out London Pinball Club. Uh, we we really needed after last year uh, where we well every previous year we we've held the UK Open uh, Pinball Open UK Pinball Classic in um, as part of a bigger show, a part of a bigger pinball show, uh, sort of national UK show, and it's always always imposed constraints on. Um, on us in terms of getting machines, having to transport machines to a venue, set them all up, you know, um, make sure they're all tournament ready, 
Um, you know, things happen, people's machines don't turn up or they get stuck in traffic or they're broken when they turn up and you've got all those issues. And then you've got a, a limited time when the show's open. So we thought, well, what we really need to do, or what I thought is, what we need to do is we need to have a permanent location, a permanent collection of machines where we don't have any of this stuff. So we know what the machines are like, which is what some other shows do or some other tournaments, major tournaments do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't have that until recently. And now we have Flip Out London where we could do it. But then I also thought, well, if we're going to do that, let's make it really worthwhile for people to come over. And rather than just having two tournaments on two days, let's expand it and throw in some more tournaments and make it five days of pinball, uh, have tournaments on every day and give people a chance to experience not just the club, but also go into central London and um, you know, see everything that the, you know, one of the, I'd say the, the world's premier capital has to offer for um, for visitors. So uh, that's what we did. And um, I have to say it all went very, very well, thanks to uh, all the staff and the or the, the members and uh, founder members of Flip Out London and to our uh, our two uh, tournament directors, uh, Neil McRae from Domino Pinball and uh, Matt Vince from uh, London Pinball who were uh, excellent in uh, in organising everything and making sure everybody had a good time, and I think they all did. So we had a good good turnout. Uh, we, we limited it at 80 players simply because of the size of the venue. Um, maybe next year we can we can expand somehow. Uh, we might have a, an upstairs area that we can use. That That's a possibility. Um, but the, the probably the biggest potential nightmare was the, was the weather because it was particularly warm during that event not as warm as it was the days after but uh, yeah we had to get um, had to get some serious air conditioning into the building because this is this is England and you know normally we don't have air conditioning for for most buildings unless it's particularly needed so we did that um, brought that in and kept it at a very nice temperature and none of the machines overheated and uh, really uh, having done a lot of maintenance in the days and weeks before it was uh, encouraging to see we, we didn't really have any machine breaks down, uh, breakdowns okay. either. Even, even the classics, you know, we had 10 classic games and uh, they all held up very well. And, uh, yeah, so okay. we can look back on it and, uh, and look forward to next year. Okay, excellent. So, and then from, um, well, the biggest tournament in the UK to the biggest pinball tournament in the world, which is going to take place uh, actually uh, the upcoming weekend replay effects in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, amazing. It just gets bigger and bigger every, every time you think it can't get bigger. And uh, this year, 1,000 players, I think, and yep. uh, sold out in, well, seconds, seconds I, think. I would say, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I know there's a, a big contingent of UK players going over. I suspect there are probably a good number of Dutch players going over too, unless there's a, a, a Dutch tournament at the same time. I don't think there is. But, no, um, I don't think so either. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think uh, probably had at least uh, a dozen UK players going over for this, which is, uh, considering how far away it is and the, and the likely costs, uh, with it being during uh, school holiday time, when flights across the Atlantic are you know, pretty expensive, I think that's uh, quite an achievement, uh, a good testament to the, the amazing uh, event and facilities that uh, the Replay FX team have built up in, in running Pinburg and uh, and basically making it uh, the world's biggest tournament by, yeah. by a long mark. 
Right. So, um, for those interested, I think uh, most of the tournament, or at least part of the tournament, will be uh, streamed live, um, uh, possibly on uh, Papa TV, but I'm not sure. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, I think they've been gearing up for that for a, for a couple of weeks. They didn't cover something last weekend because they were uh, preparing for this. Yeah, well, obviously they got a lot of games to set up. Um, even if you're not participating in the tournament, replay effects is definitely worth a visit. If you're in the area, go visit um, the, uh, the replay effects. It's going to be amazing. Actually, mm. I wish I could go myself, but I'm busy with uh, other activities, so I can't. Yeah, same here. Yeah, work, I'm afraid, has uh, prevented me going, as it's prevented me doing yeah, um, going across the uh, the Atlantic at all this summer, but uh, it just makes the uh, the autumn trip to uh, Expo all the more special. And of course, you and I are both looking forward to planning um, our trips for spring next year as well. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, which is going to be an interesting one. Um, it is. Yeah, and, more uh, on that later. Yeah, more on that later. But uh, <laughs> good for uh, um, well, let's put it out there right now. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, so spring next year, last weekend of March is Texas Pinball Festival, and the weekend right after is Midwest Gaming Classic, which is two of the biggest shows um, in the U.S. in consecutive weekends, which makes it for us uh, very interesting to attend both. Yeah, it's a no-brainer, really, when, you, when those two uh, are so um, close together in the calendar. Not, not physically that close, but um, certainly... Easy enough for us to either fly or drive from one to the other, right. without uh, that consuming too much time. But yes, we, I think you and I both wanted to go to the Midwest Gaming Classic for a long time. Yes, uh, I've never I been, been there, so that will be I've my, been, uh, my. I haven't been there for probably I don't know six years or something like that, since it was back in the in the old location. Yeah. So, and the interesting news is that um, our good friend Gary Flower, who's still keeping us on hold, by the way, because I'm still with him oh, on the phone, man. but I guess he's talking to whoever he, who was at this door. I had a very interesting story to tell. Um, but Gary already arranged that um, we're likely doing a seminar, possibly a quiz with free prizes and all that kind of stuff at the mm. West Gaming Classic. And um, as a heads up, since um, looking at um, two shows in America in consecutive weekends, I sort of um, marked a deadline for Pinball Magazine number six that I really want to have issue six available um, before the Texas Pinball Festival, so that issue six will be available, should be available at Ooh. both the Texas show Exciting. and the, the Midwest, Midwest Gaming Classic. And I might Can you actually, give us a little heads up what it's about. It will be the uh, Python Angelo issue. Right. Okay. Which is already like five years in the making, although I didn't work on it for, I think, the past three years, but that doesn't matter. Um, mm. No, but that's an issue that a lot of people have been looking forward to, and I really want to get that out of the door and out of my way. So, uh, yeah. And I knew that I wouldn't have anything ready for October, but now looking at these two shows, um, it makes perfect sense for me to have that issue ready by then. So I, uh, I need to start working on it. Yes, and talking of Expo, actually, I should mention that uh, Expo organiser Rob Burke was actually over in the UK um, this month, this past month. Okay. 
Yes, his, uh, I think his, his daughter was uh, was is studying at Cambridge University. And oh. uh, which one? He has four. Uh, I, I wouldn't like to uh, hazard a guess and then get that particular detail wrong, but uh, I was due to meet up with uh, with Rob for uh, for dinner to talk about uh, plans for Expo this year, which uh, is is uh, he's promising to be even bigger and better than last year. Oh well, it's the thirty fifth anniversary, so that yeah, calls for a celebration. A yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, um, work commitments had me uh, in Cambridge, working in Cambridge, uh, about three days before he turned up, and then uh, then sent me off to Glasgow um, while he was here, which was awkward. But uh, so I didn't actually get to meet him Too again. Bad. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll see him in October anyway, and, and we'll talk well in advance anyway about uh, what's what's going to be happening in, in Expo, and I'm sure we'll bring you details of all that um, in our in one of our monthly podcasts um, before October. Right. So okay, I guess this um, that concludes it for this month. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I don't know how long we've been talking, but it's uh, it's been action packed and and full of. Full of useful, I hope, information. We've um, uh, we've um, brought you some uh, exclusive news and um, and rounded up everything that's happened in the in the, the wonderful month that was uh, July 2019. Right. So, uh, any heads up for the month of August that we already well, know? Like, okay, we got obviously August being a holiday month. I'm not expecting much. Well, I, I know I'm going to be at the uh, the UK National Show, UK Pinfest. So will I, uh, which yes. Will, which will be in Daventry, yep. So we look forward to, to meeting up. Um, that'll be in the middle of, of next month, or this month, as it is now. Right. Uh, so I'm sure there'll be some information, some news from there. Uh, traditionally, August is um, kind of like uh, summer holiday time or summer vacations, um, where people take a bit of a break. Company, Some companies shut down. You know, you need to get things, uh, as we heard earlier, you need to get things done before that happens. And then people disappear off on, on vacation and uh, nothing then picks up and again until September. Right. But in the, that's the great thing about pinball. You never quite know what's going to happen. And uh, there's always something happening. So we, we will certainly be back um, at the beginning of um, next month. Right. Uh, beginning of September, looking back at everything that did happen in August. Right. Okay, so if you really don't want to miss out on any of the news, make sure you subscribe to the uh, Pinball Magazine newsletter, which is um, sent out on a uh, uh, monthly basis. It's free. Uh, you get a summary of um, all the pinball industry news, uh, most of the stuff that we discussed, and occasionally there's even stuff that we uh, didn't discuss because it got in in the meantime and so on. So um, just visit uh, Pinball. Uh, sorry, pinball-magazine.com and you can subscribe over there uh, but also take a look at pinballnews.com which is Martin's website um, yeah. which has great stories um, also last month uh, quite a few interesting stories so make sure to check that as well and um, I think that's it for now I think you're right um, so thank you very much for listening to our ramblings for the past uh, hour and or oh, two hours or however long it's been yeah we hope you enjoyed it and uh, as I say we'll be back next month with a the full roundup of everything that's happened in August 2019 right so until then this is uh, Martin from pinball news and my name is Jonathan from pinball magazine and I'm saying bye-bye bye-bye <laughs>